Hello, welcome to Season 3, Episode 30 of the Telecast. Thanks for joining. Hope you enjoy the Prince. We never acknowledged the Prince song in the beginning, because I don't ever listen to it, because I don't listen to these podcasts. But I should, because it would put me in a good mood. Joining me is producer Brian. How are you, Brian? I'm doing good. Glad it's Friday. Yep, we're recording this on Friday. It's supposed to be a beautiful weekend. And uh, by the way, this podcast is brought to you by EMI Research Solutions. You can reach us at IntelliCast at EMI-RS.com. You can follow us on Twitter, EMI underscore research or IntelliCast1. Um, you can leave us a voicemail or text, 513-401-5463. We got some text this week we'll talk about later. Uh, not this episode, but an upcoming episode. But thank you for texting us. We appreciate that. We do. Joining us on the podcast today, I have to tell you I'm really excited. I'm not just saying that, is John Zogby. He is the senior partner at John Zogby Strategies and his son, Jeremy Zogby, who is a partner at John Zogby Strategies. I think if there were like a Mount Rushmore of public opinion research, John Zogby would be on it. And it's, I mean, you know, for me personally, it's just an honor. It's just an awesome opportunity to talk to someone like John and have the ability to ask him anything, any question. And, um, we recorded the interview yesterday afternoon, and I think it's great talking about a new report that we have coming out. It's a partnership that we actually have with uh, John Zogby Strategies. It's called the Main Street K Street Intelligence Seer, and uh, we'll talk a lot about that. But basically, it's kind of a public opinion um, research that we partner with them on, which is out. And so you could go to johnzogbystrategies.com. You can download this report for free. This will be a series of reports that they're putting out. I know that uh, Jeremy is finalizing the second report now. So by the time you're listening to this, it might might be out or soon will be out. But again, yeah, I love the interview. I don't know about you, Brian, but you know John Zogby, if you don't know who he is, he's had his own company for, gosh, since the early 80s. You know, he's been everywhere. He's an author. He's worked in research forever, uh, strategy. And the, the key to him and his son, Jeremy, to me, and we touch on this a little bit in the podcast, I think, is with, I had to think about this a little bit overnight. The key to marketing research, I think, is not just the data. The key is the context around the data. Anybody can administer a survey and analyze the results, but to truly deliver insights, you connect those survey results to other things in the context, right? And typically in consumer research, it's um, you do a survey and you uh, think about the advertising or the promotions or the competitive landscape or uh, what the trends are in the industry, things like that. And that is why I think that's what I love about John and Jeremy is they live and breathe this stuff and they provide the historical context to what's going on in America. And that's basically what the report is about. It's about, I mean, obviously 2020 has been a crazy year. It was a crazy year before COVID. I think you're putting that mildly. Yeah. I mean, then, then we have COVID, which is ridiculous. And then on top of that, now we have, however you want to describe it, it's, um, you know, uh, protests and demonstrations and on top of all this. And then, of course, you have a Trump presidency, which, you know, in any other era would be the number one thing anybody would ever talk about. And, you know, it's probably top three or four on the list right now. But the key to this research was we cover all that stuff, or they do when they analyze the data, but they have the historical context to that. And one of the questions I loved asking John was this, can you compare this to any other time in history? And he did, once from 1800s and one in 1968. Yeah. And that's what I love about them. And, you know, 
then I was th I was looking up Jeremy's background. I'm gonna find that again. But Jeremy, he didn't just jump into research with his father's company. He was an editor. He was a, a professor. He went moved to Prague and lived in Prague for a while. I think he traveled around somewhat, and then he was a history teacher. Um, and so he has that that context as well, which is I love why he's a great researcher and why he's so great at his job is that he doesn't just do research. He has the historical um, context around Europe and he teaches history. So he understands it. Um, and then, you know, he hasn't, he's only been in research for 10, 15 years, I think. And that just adds so much credibility. And I don't know, I rambled a lot, Brian, what do you think about what I just said? No, I think you were spot on. Um, you kind of threw some questions at them that they probably weren't expecting, and we got some great answers from them. You and I have been involved in that report they have kind of built as part of this partnership since the beginning. And honestly, I learned what K Street was. Did not know that that was the street in Washington. I was yeah, wondering, like, yeah. why'd they call it K Street? Huh. Yeah, so here's the – I didn't know that either. It's called, So it's called Main Street, K Street. Main Street is, you know, we all know Main Street is a generic term for just the people, right? With, you know, Main Street is the business. It's the people. It's kind of the normal part of America. K Small Street, town. Yep. K Street is a street that's a, literally a street in Washington, D.C., and it's known for lobbyists and advocacy groups, and it's kind of become a name for Washington, D.C., you know, the, the government and and the people behind the scenes that we don't know. And so the point of this report is combining Main Street and K Street, and they obviously have that context with professionally. And um, yeah, you're right. That's that's a good point. Thanks for bringing that up, Ryan. Yeah. Um, I, and it's if our listeners are probably thinking, oh, well, this is just going to be more about polling. No, it looks no. at a variety of different issues. I mean, it gets in from everything from currency pieces to – 5g and like automation and how will that be do people view that as a good thing or a bad thing down to vaccines and even there's a section on joe rogan and his right. podcast deal with spotify which right. personally i think i saw an interview with him that some people were call, saying he was selling out he goes no it's not selling out when someone meets your price yep that's true yeah, good point. There's a lot of topics like biometric ID tracking. You mentioned 5G and robotics. Um, do we trust science? Vac vaccinations is going to be um, – that's the key to their context is they know we're all want a vaccine, right? Yep. We know we could get back to pretty close to where we were before if we had a vaccine. But then there's the whole question of do you trust who's going to give the vaccine? Are there going to be enough vaccines? What about the people that don't get the vaccine? So you force them, those kind of topics, right? And that spans into your anti-vaxxers who have caused like the resurgence of some of the diseases we've pretty much eradicated, like polio, that you're seeing that pop back up now because people aren't taking vaccines. Yep. I don't want to go on a soapbox on this. Yeah, we'll save the rant for later. But we'll get into the interview now, and um, I think it'll be really interesting. And I hope you download the report. It's free, and so you can go to johnzogbystrategies.com. And again, here's the interview. This is John Zogby and Jeremy Zogby. Joining us now, I am super excited to have both Jeremy Zogby, who is the partner at John Zogby Strategies, and John Zogby, the senior partner at John Zogby Strategies. Hey, guys, how are you? Good, Brian. How are you today? Oh, great, man. I'm so glad. We had Jeremy on um, earlier this year, and I'm super excited to have both of you all on the podcast today to talk about 
kind of some exciting research that we're doing. Um, and maybe, Jeremy, maybe you could introduce kind of what we've, what you guys have primarily done um, in the last few weeks, I guess. Yeah, sure. I, and, and, you know, I, last time I was on in February, I talk, uh, we talked about the podcast, the Zogby Report, Real and Unscripted. And by the way, it's totally unscripted. My dad and I <laughs> get on uh, the, the uh, app that we use in the morning and just say, all right, uh, I want to talk about this. What do you want to talk about? Yeah, I want to talk about that. And <laughs> we just roll with it. And yep. um, anyway, uh, as we were chronicling 2020, which is why we decided to do the podcast, because we knew 2020 was going to be so tumultuous, so game changing, like 1848 or like uh, 1945 or even 1989 on that level of world history. We said, all right, we have to do a report we have to do an intelligence report. And so that's where we joined with you folks at EMI, uh, the great sample pro providers, online sample providers. And uh, this is what we brought. We've come up with the Main Street K Street Intelligenceer, S-E-E-R. And uh, I, can, I can talk a little bit about that name. And Dad, you can talk about that name as well. Yeah. Sure. Um... I'll jump in. And, you know, one of the things that people don't understand about our industry, uh, the opinion research industry, is that it's just as important for us to take a look at projecting, forecasting what could happen in the future, not just measuring what's going on now and how, how people feel right now, but what do they anticipate their behavior is going to be? How, is it, how will their minds change under certain stimuli? And so that's where we thought um, we'd have an edge, not only with this project, but really over the years, um, whether it was political forecasting, but I think more importantly, society, cultural, uh, market, uh, forecasting as well, all from the vantage point of Vox Populi. And so that's what we're producing here. We're asking the kinds of questions, what happens after uh, the COVID-19? And now uh, what happens after all these demonstrations? Right. And, you know, we were so excited to have these discussions and partner with you on this because, I mean, John, you and your family have been doing this for a long time. You've seen a lot of societal changes and yeah like jeremy you said it really well 2020s we knew it was going to be a unique year before um really covid and the the more recent protests um however you want to call the more recent tumultuous times the last few weeks so yeah we we're super excited to uh to partner with on us and you all are the brains behind the the research and so um maybe can you give just a brief kind of a brief overview of um, intelligence here, what kind of the goals are, maybe um, talk about what's in the questionnaire. Yeah, sure. Well, in the name, the Main Street, K Street, intelligence here, K Street, obviously the, the big lobby uh, place and uh, street in, in uh, the country in, in Washington, D.C. But, you know, there's, it's, I guess it's double layered there, there in, in its meaning is that there's, such a gap uh, between Main Street and what goes on in Washington, D.C., uh, not only in terms of wealth, but also in terms of information and how they experience life, what they talk about. And so we're trying to bridge that cultural 
and information gap so that Main Street, um, the, the content that we take is, is relevant to both. It's relevant to policy and lobbyists. It's also relevant to uh, everyday citizens who, who live near or on Main Street. And so we're trying to look at what's important uh, now and into the future so that both can, can plan, both can, can uh, get ahead and both, both can understand each other better. Otherwise, if they don't, um, we see even greater uh, difficult times. So, I mean, some of the things that we're covering in our first edition that came out last week, and by the way, if you're listening and, and you want to get this report, it's free right now. So I, I, would, I would definitely jump on that, www.johnzogbystrategies.com, and you'll see the intelligence or tab at the uh, the top. But I mean, we're looking at um, how do Americans feel about biometric ID tracking? Um, how do Americans feel about um, AI and robotics powered by 5G? Do they think that it's going to be a leap forward or do they think that it's going to be a leap backwards for human civilization? Uh, trusting science, do they think that we should listen to the elite scientists or do they think that the elite scientists have an agenda and that we should also listen to um, independent uh, scientists? And so, I mean, right now we're going to come out with, with uh, edition two and we're going to look at paper currency. You're hearing a lot more about this. Um, the cashless society, Sweden and China are perfect examples of this work. People are, are, I mean, pretty much they've ditched cash and uh, they're using, uh, you know, through their smartphones, uh, digital currencies. Uh, I'm talking about a national currency, by the way, not distributed ledger technology like, like Bitcoin. So, I mean, do people think that this cash is going to become obsolete? Do they think that the U.S. debt is unsustainable and that um, our standard of living will drastically be reduced in the years to come. So, I mean, we're, we're talking about some really controversial things, but we're, we're trying to help people know what is likely to happen in the five years as we ask public opinion and key demographics where we, where they stand now and as we track it. Yeah, I think, you know, what's vital to build on uh, what Jeremy just said is that it's, uh, is it first and foremost, the, the COVID-19 and the the uh, post George Floyd murder uh, uh, demonstrations uh, have accelerated actually changes that were already uh, happening and accelerated them at such a pace that we're watching things unfold in, in real time. So the issue is not simply for talking heads on, on television and elsewhere to be chatting about what they think it means. But what do people know about these things when they hear that, you know, that they're being laid off and then hearing through the grapevine, they may not be rehired. They may not go back to their job. They may be replaced by artificial intelligence. What does that mean for them? You know, what's their understanding of that? Are, uh, seriously, are they embracing it? and understanding then that they're going to have to adjust to that world, they're going to fight it um, and, and say, look, I, I want my world to stay the way it always is, has been, and I don't want to, 
you know, move ahead with this technology. The same with issues of race and racism. Um, we're in an inflection point on all of these issues. We're watching a revolution take place. And what is the sense of the, the public mind and the public will on all of these things? Right. And those are great points. And that's one thing I loved about the questionnaire when, you know, we, we got to see it before it was launched and to give feedback. And it goes way beyond, um, you know, lots of people have done COVID research. Everybody has done COVID research, right? We have, we have done our own COVID research. And this goes beyond to really the the impact and the perceptions and the changes. You know, I, I ate out last week, one of the first times I've eaten out at a restaurant. And I found it interesting you mentioned that it's kind of fast-tracked what was already happening in innovation. And like, you know, take a picture of a menu now. Like you scan your phone and there's no paper menus. And, you know, all of the artificial intelligence and innovation that's just rapidly advancing because of this. And, you know, there'll be touchless things in the future when they're designing, you know, businesses and restaurants. And those are some of the things, maybe on this edition, but in on some similar topics that we touch on on the survey and we'll analyze and people can read if they go download it. Brian, I saw a neighbor the other day and instinctively I went up to him and we shook hands. Yes. And that bothered me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Not only at that moment, that did not leave my mind for a while. Are we going to hug yeah. again? Yeah. It's, it's, it's changed just, you know, our normal way that we act with each other. Um, do we shake hands in business? Do we hug people that we know? Yeah, that's, I think about that all the time too. But, you know, you do the awkward either fist bump or elbow. Mm-hmm. Um, we haven't figured that out in society yet. Um, so, Jeremy, what other topics are covered on this? I see um, today's media landscape, vaccinations. Is there anything else that you think people might be interested in? Yeah, yeah. So we want to know what the where the public stands on should should uh, you know if and when that there's a COVID nineteen vaccine should uh, it, it be mandated to all citizens. Um, you know, we, we're also looking at the question of martial law. I mean, we we were talking about martial law on our podcast uh, back in March, and um, I had a sense as I was talking about it in my podcast that I sounded insane. And, and actually, I I went back to listen to it, and 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 my my dad's response was okay, millennial, you know, like the okay boomer. <laughs> and uh, right. well, here we are, and and uh, today, June eleventh, and in the city of Seattle, there is an autonomous zone that has been blocked out, that is being uh, claimed, uh, you know, basically its own city state, I guess you could say, its own zone with its own rule of law and. They're saying some rapper warlord is uh, trying to take it over, and uh, uh, BLM and Antifa are there, and it, I mean, it just sounds like insanity, riots galore. Um, so, I mean, you know, we, we saw Trump wanted to to, to roll in uh, the mil the U.S. military in, into D.C. The Pentagon and uh, Secretary of Defense weren't down with that, but we're tracking this stuff. Uh, I believe nine percent in our survey said. It was very likely that they would uh, see it in their lifetime. Twenty-three percent said it was somewhat likely. Um, so you put those together, and you've got almost a third of the population that thinks it's likely. 
and it seems like it's becoming more realistic day by day. But we don't just get into uh, the data. I mean, the data is very important for uh, from the public opinion side, but we also look at the trends that are happening in the news. In the first edition, I talked about how important it was um, that, you know, uh, Joe Rogan, you know, I guess you could say the godfather of the podcast. We all, we all, uh, those of us who do podcasts all aspire to be like Joe Rogan and have millions of views, right? Um, he left uh, to go to Spotify. And I mean, that's just a huge, I guess you could say, bomb to Silicon Valley. And what it, what it does is it really challenges, I think, corporate media, because here's a meathead um, who base a self-proclaimed meathead who for three hours, sometimes four hours, will have a conversation with some of the most controversial and some of the most normal, you know, uh, not normal, but I guess you could say uh, typical celebrities or, you know, conspiracy theorists like Alex Jones. And I mean, this is what people want to see three hours. Anderson Cooper, Don Lemon and Wolf Blitzer, Sean Hannity can't give you that. Right. So, I mean, we're, we're paying attention to what's going on in the news. Um, and uh, it's, it's, it's more than just data. It's also, as my dad and I, you know, read the news every hour on the hour and, and over the course of a week or two have a, a good, a, you know, sometimes even months we track stuff, have a good sense of where this is all going. So the, we talk, we cover a lot of stuff. Yeah. Then, you know, I'm a avid news watcher and, you know, you mentioned what's going on in Seattle and I'm obsessed with that story. There's so much news going on that it's really hard to almost keep track of it. Like when the demonstrations were going on, what would be a big story like in near, near us, Louisville, Kentucky, there was um, a police shooting that's very controversial that drove a lot of the protests that probably contributed to the, to the larger protests. And I don't even think that it became a national story. I think, people focus on Minneapolis and other cities, but you know, there's so, but my point is that there's so much news to, to watch. Like the Joe Rogan situation is a huge story and it affects us as marketers and societal in so many different ways. And it almost got buried. And so the fact that this is a passion of your all's and we can, you know, include a lot of these topics in the research um, that are relevant topics is what is my honestly it's probably my favorite part of the whole thing is how diverse it is from vaccinations to Joe Rogan to the political climate to the media to 5G and artificial intelligence and I mean the list goes on and on yeah yeah and you know I was reminded when when you were talking about how you're you're a news junkie and it, it sounds like sounds like you're a beast like we are when it comes to consuming information I I, I just have to tell you that it, it gets a lot and and you yeah. I think you kind of alluded to this that there's so much to cover. There's there's so much to pay attention to. One person, one mind, even a team of minds just can't possibly stay on top of, of everything. I, I'm, I'm going to be honest with you. When this COVID-19 thing broke out in January and into February, and I was I was following this because I knew it was going to be a game changer. I'm not kidding you. There, there were moments that I became so exhausted by the news that I, I had to lay down on the floor and take a breather and, and just chill out. Yeah, I, I agree with that, especially because, at least for me, this is this was probably worse from a mentality standpoint 
much worse than even 9-11 because it affected everybody. And it was, this has been going on for so long. And there was, honestly, it was depressing story after depressing story um, with the quarantine and the news. I had to turn it off many, many times. And, you know, I noticed that even when I would turn it off, I had to watch comedies, right? Yeah. I wasn't, I wasn't watching my normal, um, normal shows. But in some ways... We're emerging from that, and I'm glad that we can start kind of now we're delving into the impact of this, what we've been through as a society. Um, so, yeah, I'm happy to do that. Yeah, and, and we've got good weather. We finally have the summer. That was a, a big thing. You know, we, we right. were talking about this, uh, you know, it, here in upstate New York, uh, it, it May rolled around, and for two weeks we still had snow on the ground in the morning. <laughs> yeah. Yes, we have long days, sunny weather. Um, we're we're starting to open up. I get to eat at a restaurant with a friend, and so, yeah. Um, so, what's coming next? You kind of alluded to it. What the next edition? What what can people look for in the next edition? Yeah, well, um, I right now I'm kind of uh, I'm kind of working it out right now. I've already did a first draft, and you know the same problem happened the last time with over the weekend. So much of the world changed, and I had to rewrite it on Sunday. Um, you guys got like, you know, nine drafts on Monday because I was trying to keep everything up with, you know, what was changing at light speed. Well, as of right now, the angle is is money. Uh, just a few things. I mean, today we hit tr- uh, 26 trillion. The, the national debt hit 26 trillion um, when uh, Trump uh, entered office. I believe it was 19 uh, when Obama entered office. Uh, I believe it was nine or 10. Um, in the last 50 days, there has been $2 trillion added to the national debt in the last basically two months. So that's uh, the top story is money. And what, what's going to happen to money? Um, what do people want to hold in, in terms of assets? That's a question that we've asked. Um, I, I alluded to this earlier. Do, do they think that uh, uh, paper currency will become obsolete? And if they do, what should replace it? Work, the future of work. Do they think that their jobs will be um, replaced by AI or robotics? How many fear that or, or agree that that's going to happen? Um, I'm going to talk about uh, some parallels that I see today with Weimar Germany. Now, uh, I guess you could go down the road of money printing. Uh, that That is a backdrop, but I'm looking more or less at you know, in Weimar, Germany, there were paramilitary groups on, on both sides of uh, the extreme political spectrum rolling around like crazy. And, you know, now we see that with KKK and white supremacists and uh, on the, the left, the redneck revolt and, and Antifa. And, uh, you know, some of these are, are, um, are militias. And so I, I'm, I'm given that historical analogy and, um, uh, yeah, so I mean that's that's basically I'm I'm working that out and tracking what's going on over the weekend, and I, I think this one's going to be even more explosive than the last. And Jeremy's historical perspective is so vital. I'm the optimist in the room, and and because um, I, I have to be, uh, somebody has to be, but uh, it isn't just that. It it, it is that um, you know futurists have been talking among themselves, you know, about the end of money. Uh, and now I, COVID-19, money is dirty. I mean, physically, materially, a very dirty item. 
to exchanging hands and and um, and being dropped in on the ground and uh, and and so on. And so this in itself is um, is escalating that that tendency. That's on the micro level. On the macro level, yeah. uh, we're talking about deficits worldwide in the, in the United States that represent numbers that you can't find on a calculator, that you can't um, you you can't count, uh, um, and and growing. And uh, you know we've had this conversation before, but are we at a at a, a turning point where? I, deficits are always going to be with us. There is no amount of global economic growth that can possibly happen to undo the accelerated pace of these deficits. But what's that mean? How, how, right. What does that mean for you and me? And that's why we ask those kinds of questions. It's, it's so fascinating. And Jeremy, you're obviously... You know, you obviously are very knowledgeable about all of these topics that are interrelated. I have a feeling I'm going to put you on the spot, John, is that he gets that from you. And Jeremy, you mentioned a couple of years that you can kind of relate 2020 to. And I'd love to hear from you, John. I've heard of 1968. I've heard of other years. Do you, does this year remind you of anything in the past from from a like just a political landscape or a cultural revolution landscape yeah uh i'll just take two uh, you know what one is 1848 a year of revolutions there were street r- revolutions and 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 riots in, throughout the cities of of europe today what we call eastern europe and um and western europe and it was caused by um, a rising merchant and capitalist class um, uh, attaining enormous wealth. And at the same time, the inequality of it all, those who were working in factories, um, who in many instances couldn't vote or the vote didn't count, but working 12 and 14 hours a day and staying in debt. And what this was was a, a spontaneous uh, revolt that, by and large, failed as a revolution, but made its mark in the sense that there were a whole series of reforms that began afterward. The birth of public schools, public education, is one example. Okay. Uh, 1968, of course, is another. And the historian Eric Hobsbawm, a real favorite of mine, has written that you know you had a huge vanguard in baby boomers who had gone to college uh, at a higher rate than any other uh, uh, and uh, prior to that who were educated uh, and at the same time were exposed to television and could see inequities, see inequality, see um, a war. Uh, that either at best they couldn't understand, we're talking Vietnam, or one that they couldn't possibly support. Um, And they were the vanguard um, of of that year. Uh, Riots and revolution in Paris, but also throughout Europe and here in the United States, um, not only culminating in the the rioting at the Democratic National Convention, but... um, uh, uh, also, the student protests, the student classes that had shut down, uh, student reforms, um, 
that, that took place, Wells workplace reforms. I think today the vanguard, as you're seeing, are millennials and Gen Z. I and mean, when we talk about race and racism, the, these two age cohorts are the most diverse we've ever had. You know, 40% of millennials non-white, uh, you know, 50% of Gen Z in this country non-white. And so when they're marching, they're marching together as they're living together and going to school together as never before. But I think, you know, what you're also seeing is the growing distrust of all of our institutions culminating to today among uh, among these two age cohorts. They didn't go into any of this with a fundamental trust of police. They don't trust the church. They don't trust Boy Scouts. They don't trust a lot of things that uh, politics, government, political parties, corporations that, you know, have have been familiar institutions for us. It was only a question of, um, you know, one very visible, outrageous, egregious act uh, that was like pouring gasoline on a, a fire that was already right. burning. Right. That's that historical um, context is just so key. And I think that, in my opinion, that's why you guys are such a great company and you're such great researchers and why I think people should download this report. Um, one other question is you, you all do a great job, both Jeremy and you, John, you do a great job of talking about the issues um, from a non-political, but you don't have a bias that comes out. Is that a challenge? Like you, you talk about very controversial topics that I'm sure you have personal opinions about, but you do so in kind of a middle of the road, just a factual um, method. Is that is that challenging? Because I'm not good at that at all. I My biases come through pretty quickly, I think. But you all are much better at that than I am. Well, we, we are a family uh, that has spent a lot of years discussing stuff um, around the dinner table, around the breakfast table, the lunch table, from morning till bedtime. <laughs> you know, I mean, we've we, we, you know, we are, we are information junkies. I mean, a family of teachers, my mother's a teacher, my grandmother was a teacher, uh, my dad was a teacher, my uncle, my aunt, uh, I mean, and, and uh, family on both sides of well-read. So, I mean, we just discuss opinions and, I mean, I'm, you know, obviously it, at times it has got uh, heated, it has, you know, gotten uh, in, I don't want to say intense, but, you know, I mean, passionate. And I, I guess what I'm saying is, is that you get all this practice, right? And then, and then when you're a teacher yourself, and then you test ideas, and you know, I taught college, and I, I would come all, you know, revved up and 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 ramped up with ideas, and just watch people's reactions, and and that's one of the things I do is I I read people as I talk, and I listen to myself too, and so we, I, personally speaking, I I, I go through. Of uh, layers of, fil of self-filtering, where what goes on inside of my head, I test it first in my head, and then I speak it, and then I see how people react, and that teaches me how do you present something that's objective? How do you present something that is? Because that's one thing I do stress. It's very important for me to 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 be objective, and 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 I've had many years of practicing that. You know, I. 
my my pedigree is is from the left, but uh, around the well, the 1980s, I defined myself. I was going to be an independent pollster, and th that's what I wanted to be. But I think what what helped me mature was signing a, a multi-year agreement with a very conservative fellow. I'm going to mention his name, Brad O'Leary. I don't think Brad and I personally agreed on anything. And in fact, you know, when, when it would come close to election day, I would say, Brad, don't even bother uh, voting because I'm going to cancel you out anyway. <laughs> but right. Brad would submit the questions he'd want to ask, and I'd look at them and say, oh, my God, you really want to ask this <laughs> stuff? But then I'd stop and think and say, yeah, but there are people who, f who feel that way, and what's behind all of these questions that he's submitting are core values that a lot of folks identify with. So that's when I started doing, taking his questions and saying, state, here's statement A, and it says this. And then from a different uh, point of view, and here's statement B, equally representing a core of values, which comes closer to you. And I learned a couple of things. One is that the other side has genuine values and we need to appreciate that whether we agree with them or not. And also the other thing I learned is that there are pollsters out there who aim for the academic objective question, but to the point where the question becomes so neutered that it becomes meaningless. Why don't you get right out there and and give people statements and values and ask them, you know, what pushes your buttons? And um, uh, and then it's from there that I I hope it comes across that I, I've learned to just interpret what it is they're really saying and where the majority may be or where the intensity may be. Yeah. Well, thanks for sharing. That's, you know, we didn't plan on those, that line of questioning. And I really appreciate you all having such amazing, thorough answers. Um, so people can download the Intelligence Here uh, report at your website. There's a link to it on our website. Uh, it'll be in the show notes as well. Um, and, you know, I'd love to move on. I'd love to hear more about your podcast. I know it's it was new last time we talked to, to you. Um, I was still a listener. I'm still an avid listener. It's one of my favorite podcasts of the week because of the things that you're talking about now, you add the perspective of historical significance and the, how all of these stories are kind of interconnected. Um, how's it, how's it going? Are you all on the groove? It seems like. Oh yeah. And, and let me just say real quick, one last thing about the intelligence here uh, that, that we, we do offer some solutions uh, aside from forecasts too. So you get the forecast and uh, you know, it, it, a part of it is what do you do with this data and based on what the trends are pointing to and, and what we're reading, it, we, we try to look for and, and have uh, shown what some opportunities are. Um, but about the podcast, uh, yeah, I mean, we're in the groove. I, I look forward to it. We, we've already, you know, every Thursday we get with our producer or, or the group text, you know, what time are we going to do it? And um, I, I mean, by by now, I like... My wife would ask me, you know, Thursday evening, what are you going to talk about? And, and I would be like, I, I don't know what I'm going to talk about. I, 
I, I guess I'm just going to look at the news on Friday and then just decide that I don't even think about it now. I mean, we've done it 22 times and, um, you know, it, it's, it's fun. It's, it's a real great, um, it's a real great experience. And, and what we're trying to do is we're, we're trying to do the whole boomer millennial thing. And, um, you know, little by little, I think we're, we're getting deeper with it. I think that we're, um, we're exploring more dimensions and I would just tell people to look out, uh, because, uh, right now we, we've, we've steadily increased, I would say the content in, in terms of, um, adding more depth to it. But I, I have a feeling that we haven't even exploded yet. And I, I have a, a really good feeling that maybe it'll be an event, maybe it'll be something, but I, I think that this is, is going to go even, uh, further in, in terms of what dimensions it can explore and, and offering something completely different that uh, isn't even out there. Yeah, I agree. It's in this uh, couple Zogby report. I, I'm an avid listener. I've always has been. So um, I'd recommend everybody go out there and subscribe to that. Um, John, Jeremy, thank you so much for joining. Um, this has been awesome. I, I, I think people will enjoy this report when they download it. It's really for anyone Democrat, Republican, people just interested in what's going on in the world. Um, any last thoughts from either of you about it? No, thanks so much for having us. And thanks uh, for our, our partnership on, on this, this project. It's, it's very exciting. We yeah. couldn't have done it without, you, without EMI <laughs> Research Solutions. I mean, really, we've worked closely with you folks for a long time, and you've been I mean, you've been like family to us, really. I mean, you're you're our right hand men and women. Well, thank you. That's that's too kind. Um, this relationship way, predates way before me, and so um, yeah, we're we're happy to partner with you guys as well. And um, thank you so much for joining the podcast, and thank we'll you. talk to you soon. Take care, Brian. That was a great interview. It was. I was hoping I was hoping to get you in. We should have probably prepped for you to ask them questions. I apologize for that because I was, I could have gone on forever. It, it felt like I, there were points where I was tempted to kind of step in a little bit, but it just seemed yeah. to be flowing so well. I didn't want to break that up at all. Well, one thing you notice is that they're professionals. They were like, Jeremy's going to speak first and then John. And then, yeah, because they do their own podcast, right? They, they have their own podcast. It's uh called the zombie report and it's awesome i've been an avid listener and it's more of the things that we kind of talked about it was just an honor really to interview john and he's just such a nice guy you wouldn't know kind of his political leanings unless he told you i want to have dinner at their house because (laughs) i just imagine every night as a thoughtful discussion about the news and probably some disagreements and um, teaching involved a bunch just some nice people that are incredibly smart i want to go to dinner at their house that's really what i wanted to say do you think there were any points in time because i know jeremy mentioned like hey they got to the point where they're able to have this kind to kind of view themselves as neutral and have come off as neutral do you think as part of those conversations they had growing up that it devolved to screaming matches at some point because i have to imagine it did well i expect so i think i think it was the jeremy interview we did earlier this year when he mentioned his father was much more of an activist uh, before he started his own company and i'm sure john would tell you he evolved over time And, and he's mentioned in private conversations and on the podcast that he's friends with both Republicans and, and liberals and 
um, all spectrum and he's worked for all of them. And I think that he's evolved over time to just kind of have this composure and middle of the road technique, which I can't do. It's just, it's amazing. I think Jeremy is doing that as well. Uh, but I bet they had a lot of, and probably still do have a lot of, um, I don't know if the shouting matches, but certainly some strong disagreements. <laughs> Right. I don't think they've devolved to shouting matches now, but I'm thinking maybe 20, 25 years ago, there might have yeah. been some arguments that have ended with doors slamming, and I'm not talking to you. You're an idiot. <laughs> right. Absolutely. And you know, we just talked to Jeremy, and there's other zombies out there too, right? And so um, it's a big family. They're all all similar in terms of their knowledge and providing the context to uh, the political climate, and not just in the U.S. view, but a global view um, which, you know, I don't know how they do it. I've mentioned this before. I am an avid news junkie, but their historical context and how they bring it together with Asia and Europe and the world economy and other things that are going on, is just, it's it's unreal to me. Yeah. I mean, I would say I'm not as maybe as much of a news junkie as you, but I'm constantly reading yeah. the news and things like Absolutely. that. And you even mentioned it in the interview. Like there have been times over the last couple months where you just got to turn it off. You, it almost makes you want to curl into a little ball. Oh, I mean, yeah. You say, oh, when I'm looking at TV, I can't watch my normal shows. I have a few shows that I want to watch. I'm like, man, these are too, like, too real or too dark at the moment. I need something yeah. funny. Yeah. Yeah. We needed Tiger King. We needed another Tiger King in like late May, I think. Yeah. <laughs> when all this uh, started, we needed something else. Yeah, although you did see that the Tiger King people did say that, hey, the, this lockdown and quarantine may have helped us. Oh, absolutely. I can't believe they haven't cranked out more episodes given the, the recent news. But Yeah. Uh, one other thing I did like is that they, they kind of talked about the podcast near the end there, and I was glad to hear that they do about as much prep as we do. <laughs> yeah, I didn't mention that. I meant to as well that, um, you know, yeah, he mentioned, Jeremy mentioned that they what are you going to talk about today? I don't know. Well, that's the key to their success is they don't have to spend hours prepping. It's just what they know, right? It's like right. if you said to me, Brian, you have to do a, an IntelliBlend presentation today. I don't need to prep for that. I know it. And But they they don't have to prep for anything. They can talk about all those topics off the top of their head because that's, that's just who they are. Right. Yeah. Speaking yeah. of that, I could probably give your IntelliBlend presentation. Yeah, at this point. Yeah, I've yeah. heard it so much. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure you can. You've done the decks probably more than I have in the last two years. Well, I hope you all enjoyed the, the interview with John and Jeremy. I'd love to have some feedback if you want to reach out to us on email and telecast at emi-rs.com or, or on Twitter or on text. You can text us at 513-401-5463. You can go to johnsogbystrategies.com, download the report, give them some feedback. They would love to hear that as well. And uh, we'll talk to you soon. We have other great interviews coming up soon. We're, I think we're still probably going to put out a couple episodes a week, right, Brian? We're really cranking them out. That is the plan. All right. Thanks, everybody. Have a good, have a good week. Bye. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.